listening to Off The Line. Welcome back, everybody, to Off The Line. My name's Jack. Today, I'm joined by Jake and Aiden to go over the Euro 2020 final between England and Italy. Obviously, it's finished now, and it's been done for a week or so. Uh, we didn't put out a podcast just because the schedules and stuff for work got all mixed up. But we're also going to go over some of the transfer news for Everton and Manchester United. And we'll finish off with some some other deals that have taken place as well. But we're going to go over that stuff uh, just to start off because it's been a couple of weeks. Jake, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm sure you guys pr- probably know the reason. But yeah, it's just just sad at the moment, just that the Euros are over and but at least um, there's only only one month left till the season starts. And, you know, with the potential signings and stuff just going around, it's just a very exciting time. And, yeah, I actually can't wait for the season to start now. But, yeah, that's about it for me. Aiden, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. A little bit tired today. But uh, for the football, just not really going to be bothered with the Olympics, the soccer, the football in there, to be honest. Just waiting to watch couple of United's preseason games. I missed the one against Derby and then excited for the season. It's really all about the transfer news right now. And the only other thing is that last week we were going to have a podcast, but then the internet got all messed up because there was a tornado in the Barry area where Jack and I live. But uh, thankfully we're both okay and there wasn't any damage done near us. It was more in the South end. So that's really it. How are you, Jack? Yeah, doing well. I probably should have mentioned that that was part of the reason, along with the work schedule, is that there was, in fact, a tornado that that was very, very close to us. But like you said, we're all okay, and we're back today. Uh, We'll start off by – we'll go over the the finals for the Euros. Everybody already knows what happens, but we should probably just hand hand Jake an opportunity to say, I told you so about Italy. He did predict them as favorites uh months before the tournament even took place and Aiden and I really really made fun of him for that but Jake we'll just we'll we'll hand it over to you now you can just go off and talk about how happy you are that Italy won and how you know way more than me and Aiden yeah no I won't comment on the second point because I'm not too sure I'm sure I've had some some pretty bad takes as well I think uh I'll just bring one up just to bring myself down to earth. I think last season I said Frank Lampard would be favorite for man- manager of the year. So that was a bad one. Um, but yeah, just in terms of the of the Euro final, obviously just just very happy. I I, I really didn't think it was actually going to happen. Like, I, obviously I knew there was a good chance, but it's, it's not one of those things where you're like, oh, I'm actually going to see like the country I cheer for win a trophy. So it was, it was really, really good. It was a fun time here. Um, <clears throat> I just watched it with my dad and my uncle and, and my dad's friends so it, it was it was pretty fun like at first i wasn't really looking forward to it i just rather to watch it by myself but it was it was nice to have like four people cheering for italy in the, in the same room so so that was good it doesn't doesn't always happen that way at, at my house um but yeah i don't i don't really know where, where to go with it just just very happy um obviously the the start i i I was kind of feeling the worst after like a minute a minute 30 or whatever it was when when luke shaw scored and and um and yeah england england went in the lead obviously with with that goal and uh, at that point i was just i was just hoping that that italy would be able to like get get their composure back because it, it obviously was very early on but england just started really really well and they and they attacked like obviously really well off of that one i think it was off of 
in Italy corner actually where where Maguire like shanked a clearance out of bounds behind his own net and then and then England cleared it and just countered. But yeah, it was a really nice goal from from fullback to fullback or wing back to wing back. Um, uh, Trippier with the cross and and Luke Shaw with a nice finish off the post. And then at first when I saw it, I thought Luke Shaw got got kind of lucky with his finish, but but then um looking at it on on replay it was it was clear like like he meant it. I thought at first he might have shinned it or whatever, but clear that wasn't the case. And, it was a good finish from Shaw. Uh, like I mentioned at that point, I, I really wasn't wasn't looking looking forward to the rest of the game. But yeah, it, it was nervy. And then when when Benucci tied it, like it was a scrappy goal off a corner. But as as you guys know, I'll I'll, I'll take it. I won't complain at all about the goal there. Um, I think there probably could probably could have been a penalty if if he wouldn't have scored. I don't really know. I think Kielini was pulled back by Stones. I think. Um, and yeah, just out of, out of all the players on the field to to win the header that that went off the post and and then where Benucci scored the rebound, it was Verratti, who was like five foot four, who who won the header in the box and and put the ball off the off the post. Although Pickford did get a good save on it, which obviously is, is to his credit, you know, and, and as well during the penalties, he he made some good stops. But yeah, that was a good save from from really close from Verratti. But yeah, there was no way Benucci was going to miss the rebound and. Like around the whole game, like I mentioned, England started off really well, but I feel like other than that, it was mostly Italy, Italy dominating. Like I saw, um, and you guys know, I'm not just one who's like, just so the stats say this, if this would happen. But yeah, Italy had 19 shots to England, six. England only had two shots on target, 34% possession. And and yeah, Italy had twice as many passes and I could keep going. But it just really showed like after England scored, they really just dropped back and, and tried to hold on to the lead for for the most part of the game, which was never really going to work. Um, I, I Well, although I say that it almost did work because I was getting nervous throughout the game that even though Italy were dominating, they weren't really creating clear-cut chances, which was my worry. Um, but then, yeah, after after Bonucci like, scored, it felt like England had to like go back into the mood that they were like right before the game or right when the game kicked off, I guess, when the score was tied, but they just couldn't do it. And then they, they just couldn't, like, they couldn't rouse themselves as much as they needed to. But... But yeah, other than that, it was it was really good. Um, I think Chiesa was actually like pretty exceptional during this game. He came close on on many occasions. I think there was uh, I've been watching the highlights like multiple times throughout the week, so that's why I can still remember like some instances pretty clear. But um, well, clearly, but there was once in the first half when Chiesa got the ball like near the center circle and he just drove past Declan Rice. I think I think Rice tried to follow him like two or three times, tried to grab him and haul him down, and tried to ki- tried to kick him when he was getting past him. He just kept going and. And he dragged his left left footed shot wide. And there was that time in the second half where he came in from the left and he cut inside and just kept going, going and, and took a shot going to the far post and Pickford made a nice save. But it was only a couple minutes after that 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 Italy's like pressure kind of kind of paid fruit, I guess, and and uh, and they scored off the corner, like I mentioned. But yeah, I just wanted to say he was really good. Uh, well, basically he, they were all really good. Like England's players, they all they all played really well. Well, they all played well as well i think but um obviously they, they just weren't as as adventurous as as um as they would have hoped but i i obviously don't have any complaints about that and then i think england's england's best spell of the game other than the first couple of minutes i think it was during uh extra time there was a couple of points where i was afraid that they're actually gonna, gonna score i think it was in the second period of extra time where um i can't remember who played the crossing but donnarumma came out tried to collect it um, and it just like hit his wrist and, and bounced to safety after I think it was Kulini cleared the rebound. Um, 
So, yeah, obviously at that point, it was one of those games where England weren't doing much going forward, but every time they go forward, it was like a heart attack central over here because you, you're just afraid that they were going to score another one and put the game away, um, where in my mind that they wouldn't have deserved that. So, yeah, that was good. Um, Chiellini's foul on, on Saka, I thought that was hilarious. And listen, if that's against me, like if that's an England player doing that to Insigne or a, a team doing that against United, I'm absolutely furious as well. So I, I definitely understand the reaction of a lot of people. Um, but, you know, when, it, when it's in favor of, of your team, it's just actually really funny. I, I just liked it because, you know, he'll like Saka was away. It was a dangerous situation. That was literally the only thing he could have done because um, I think Keelan has been pretty much faultless throughout the whole tournament. But if there's if there's something that that's going to happen there in, in the race between him and Saka, he's not going to be able to, to catch up to him. So. I think it was the right decision. I saw a lot of, well, a lot of calls for, for red cards and, and for the match to be replayed since a lot of people said Keeling, there was a petition. I think it was like over 500,000 signatures for the game to be replayed, which come on, that's like a Liverpool fan thing to do after the Champions League final, which no one wants to be like that. But, um, but yeah, that was good. Obviously I'll give, I'll give, uh, I said that one's not a red card, but in my opinion, probably Jorginho could have been sent off for, for his tackle on Grealish, so I will be uh, be fair there. I won't show any bias or anything. I think it, I, if he would have gotten a red card, there, there could have been no complaints. And I, I like I'll try to make an excuse for him. Like you see, he's just trying to get the ball, and his foot just bounces off the ball and stuff. But it was definitely a red card, right? So I'm, I'm not even going to be saying for a second that it wasn't. Um, but yeah, Jorginho and, and Barella and Verratti played really well. Just ran the midfield, and I'm aware I'm rambling here, so I'll wrap it up very shortly. But yeah, when it went to penalties, I was I was nervous because um, I know I, I pulled out the stat, but no team's ever won uh, two penalty shootouts in the same Euro tournament. So at that point, you know, it was kind of history was against at least at least favor in that in that time because I guess in the in the main shootout, like the players sh- really show where their true sides are. So in the next shootout, like, like goalkeepers have a better idea uh, what they're trying to do. So, but yeah, obviously happy that that went well. You know when. Um, when Belotti missed his penalty, um, again it was I was just getting prepared for for heartbreak, and then when when Maguire absolutely slammed his penalty in the top corner, I I kind of I kind of thought that there was no way that England would be missing. Um, after that, if they just followed his example, but yeah, um, th- then then they missed the next three penalties, and it's unfortunate that that Rashford and Sancho, you know, they're United players, so. Um, but I, I will, I won't lie. I, I was still happy that they missed their penalties, even though they're, they're United players. I, I won't pretend like I wasn't happy. Um, and then when, when Saka, when Saka stepped up, it's easy to say this now, but I, I told my, my dad when Saka stepped up, I said, he's, I don't think he's ever taken a penalty in his career. So I don't know what he's doing there, but clearly like it's based off of training or whatever. So I'm not saying I know better than, than Southgate or whatever. Like they would have evaluated that he's the fifth best taker or whatever order they want to go in. So but yeah, I was just surprised to see him up there, and, and unfortunately for him, he missed it. But but yeah, Donnarumma made made three great saves, winning player of the tournament, mostly in part to like due to his part in, in the shootouts against Spain and England. So I couldn't really complain about that. Um, and yeah, absolutely furious with Jorginho's penalty. We I we all know his technique, but for the for the only time, I just wanted him to go up and just slam it in the bottom corner and get this game over with. But. Yeah, when when he missed, it was kind of deflating. But then you know so the Donnarumma save just kind of brought us back up. And yeah, I've probably rambled on here for about ten minutes, and I'm sure you guys are all pretty tired of hearing me talk about this game. But yeah, just very happy that that Italy won. And 
yeah, just can't quite believe it. Just been a, a, a very good week overall. Just, you know, looking at the result and reading a bunch of articles and watching videos of fans celebrating and, and all the stuff like that. So yeah, very, very happy with the result, obviously. And finally I get to see a team I support win a trophy. So it's been a long time since that happened. So yeah, I'll, I'll enjoy every, every second. Um, Aiden, what'd you think about the game? Yeah, of course. Uh, we had the other episode uh, previewing the final. I was, I was cheering for England United players and everything. I'm not a big fan of, of the uh, Italy players antics, but uh, after the match, I wasn't so fussed that Italy won just based on what, everything that happened surrounding the match in terms of England fans. I'm not an England fan. I'm just more of like the players. I'm not English. I'm Scottish, but uh, breaking into the stadium, taking away seats, uh, causing a bunch of havoc. And then obviously the racism towards the players that missed the penalty and everything. I just, I don't think there's any place for that in the game. Obviously it must be said. So yeah, that kind of turned me off England and I wasn't so fussed that they lost the game after because those same supporters that were um, really being ignorant and, and racist towards the fans or the players rather would have been, would have been celebrating their teams and wouldn't have said anything if they, if they won the game and celebrating the players. So I think that's pretty stupid. You like, obviously there's no room for racism and that aside either way, like should be a fan of the, of course you can criticize the players, but you should be a fan and support the team, whether they win or lose, you can't really be a fair weather fan, but I think it goes a lot farther than that. Just, pretty disgusting in terms of the racism and then also the actions before the match. I think there was a lot of weird behavior surrounding this whole game. Another thing that I found weird was a lot of Italy players seem to talk a lot about uh, England after the match instead of enjoying the victory in the media, which I kind of found a little bit weird, but uh, I don't know if there was some sort of abuse taking place there or whatever, but Benucci, Jorginho, really enjoyed just talking about England. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but there was just, it was just, I guess it was really emotionally filled time. I can understand that, but from the Italy players, I guess, I don't know the background to why they say certain things like that. But as for the England fans, definitely wrong. And uh, I don't know how many times this can happen and without some sort of uh, sanctions, I don't know how you can change it. Um, we know it happens in, in a league. It's kind of ironic. At Italy, there's a lot of racism in Syria as well. So I don't know if they uh, take any measures. Jake might know better how to combat that. But I think in the whole world of football, it's still a big problem. And I see it. Football is the game where they try to combat like racial and social injustices more than a lot of sports. And it's still just so prevalent. So it's sad to see. And I, I felt for those players after they missed the penalties, but onto the game, um, the whole game after I had a week to think about it, it, it kind of summed up England's tournament for me a little bit. Um, I was praising Southgate a lot, but now that I've had time to think about it and given the quality of players that he has, especially attacking wise, I think once they, they went a goal up, they could have done a little bit more to, to stay on the front foot and not really pass the uh, authority of the emphasis over to Italy. But that's what happened. I, I think it was maybe 20 or 25 minutes out, uh, of good play from England, but I think Italy was rocked after the early goal and then Italy completely dominated and, 
it's interesting because I think it sums up uh, Gareth South, Southgate when you see some of his post-match comments where he says, where he's asked um, about the match and he says, oh, I, I don't know, I'll have to go and watch it back. Well, that, I, in my opinion, that kind of shows that, that he doesn't really know what's going on in the match and he's not able to make adjustments. If he has to go and watch it back, he, he's not really able to analyze the game as, as it's going on. And uh, there is a lot of talk about how he is great at preparing for matches, but if he's not able to adjust uh, like we saw Mancini do in the middle of the game, then you're going to have a, a lot of trouble when you're coming up against the best teams. And uh, if you haven't played them before, you have to tweak your system. You have to introduce new players. You might struggle if you're not uh, great at adjusting. So that's something I think that the FA for England will have to weigh up in the future uh, when deciding whether or not Southgate is the man to take them uh, to the first trophy that they're looking for uh, is his in-game adjustments. Obviously, we can give him credit. It's it's still progression in terms of making making it to the final over the semifinals of the World Cup and that stuff. But I, I think that you might be more of a progressive manager, especially when I think the best players for England are all at the front of the pitch. I think that's safe to say that maybe uh, more attacking style or just kind of keeping the pressure on Italy would have done better. Um, as for Italy, uh, they, they played really well, uh, just dominated the game. It's been a while now, but you're right, Jake. I don't think they created too, too many clear chances. And I think if you're Italy or if you're England, rather, you could be disappointed in the goal you conceded. If you're letting the ball bounce all the way across the box to like, what is he five foot four variety who's waiting at the back post you're really taking a risk and, and not clearing your lines there. Uh, I don't remember who was all at the front post, but then uh, John Stones, he was more concerned with Chiellini than, than winning the ball. I think he has to be more focused on the ball. There. I'm not putting all the blame on him because I can't really remember who all the players were that missed the ball at the front post. But uh, yeah, so Italy equalized there. But I think if you look at that kind of goal, I think it's safe to say that the other way around, that goal is likely uh, not going to be going in if Italy has that corner kick or if England has that corner kick. I don't think Benucci and Chiellini would stand for that kind of play, letting the ball bounce in the area like that. So it's just something that uh, I think if you're England, you'd be really disappointed on to concede on a set piece. And I know how frustrating it is uh, being a United fan to concede from set pieces under Solskjaer. So that's something to look at. Um, I think Italy just they they play a really like high tempo style, right? And I think you saw in the second half as well that England weren't really able to deal with that. They were kind of just kicking the ball away a couple times. Maguire just sending two or three into touch, not really sure where he was sending it. And then uh, the right hand side couldn't really relieve the press very well. Uh, Kyle Walker couldn't really get the ball up the pitch too well. But I don't just blame him. I think there could have been a switch of system there. Um, and maybe even someone like, uh, a Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming on. I know that's a massive, a massive choice, but someone who can actually maybe threaten to win aerial duels or, or run in behind, if you're just going to kick it over the top, you know, he, he always presses, he always works hard, but Kane wasn't really able to, I don't think he was able to hold the ball. It's not just him, but I think there had to be a solution to the pressing that was going on from Italy, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, uh, and I think it's just another example of the midfield area just being a real key in, in the whole game of football. Italy had probably two out of the, the best three or four midfielders in the tournament in Verratti and Jorginho, and then you've got a, the dynamism of Barella. He wasn't at his best, I don't think, the whole tournament, but we saw 
glimpses here and there, magical moments from him. So I think that was really good. And then, yeah, the two old guys at the back, definitely not a red card on Chiellini. You don't, you don't like to see it after he's already been beaten by Saka there. He's, he's been left for dead and he takes him down. Of course, it's, it's upsetting. I, I wanted Saka to go through, see what would have happened, but I think it was just kind of the, the viciousness of it. It reminded me uh, what Chiellini did there of kind of a horse collar tackle in football. I don't think that it, it's a red card in the current rules of soccer, but maybe something like that could be outlawed because if you're pulling someone down like that um, from behind and they're trying to run full speed, they could break their legs like we've seen in, in American football uh, with someone like Terrell Owens. So maybe that could be something that could be looked at in terms of a rule change, but definitely not a, a red card giving the current rules and, yeah, I think Chiellini just had a brilliant game. I don't remember if it was Sterling or Saka, but it looked like they had the beating of him uh, around the around the byline and they were going to square it. But somehow it looked like he was falling over the old man, but he just got back and, and stretched out to block it. So credit where it's due. I'm not a big fan of Italy, but their players had a brilliant tournament. So they definitely deserved it. And the last thing I'll say about the whole thing is that, Jacob, you did do a good prediction, so I'll give you credit, but I don't think you even wholeheartedly believed it. I think you just kind of had to pick because off camera or off the pod, you were saying uh, quarterfinals for Italy. So I'll give you credit, but just remember that. Go on, Jack. You guys definitely remember more about the game than me. I'm just trying to – I was that whole time when you guys are speaking about the details because you guys went over it and reviewed it really well. It's all coming back to me now. Uh, I was just thinking of some of the main points from the game. Overall, you can say now that the tournament's finally done. I, it was a very, very good tournament, and I think I said this in the preview that I don't think anybody expected the quality um, or the entertainment to be this high in terms of literally almost every single game in the tournament was very, very good. And you had a lot of upsets, including like France going out to, to Switzerland, but overall it was a very, very enjoyable tournament in terms of the game. I'll kind of like touch on what you said in about surrounding the game, just all of the antics, everything to do with the, the, the match buildup in England. Obviously we're like, we're, we're not there, but you can see what's going on following the news online. It's just, I don't know. I don't know, um, like in, in terms of like the laws in England, how they actually go about setting up security. And I guess they would work with UEFA. So I think there's definitely shared responsibility there. And then also, like we know, we know about the racism after the game is absolutely disgusting. There's no place for it in, in, the, in the sport, no place in society. It, like, it, it's just absolutely shocking. It's really, really sad to see. Um, and just one of the things that I saw online, I completely agree with it is the fact that, you know, when there's like streakers that run all over the field and, and stuff, and they can just immediately like cut the cameras and stuff. And, um, I know it's, it's, it's a different situation, but you see it in Christian Erickson earlier on in the tournament when, when these companies have full control and they can make these changes, um, in terms of, in this case, the TV companies just turning off the cameras for, um, for things like that and for when I see like the racism online I I'm, I'm not an expert but surely with the amount of money that these companies have and the artificial intelligence surely surely there's a way to like just a, a eliminate like not only the bots but just delete these accounts and, and find these people who are behind these accounts because it's just it's absolutely disgusting and it, it, it ruins it for every it ruins it for everybody and it's just really really terrible to see and it just it just ruins just ruins the sport because like at the end of it that's one of the, my main takeaways from the tournament is like the the abuse that 
that Sancho and and Rashford and Saka received after that game is just it's it's terrible and you never like to see things like that happen but in terms of the rest of the game in terms of the tactical side Aiden you touched on it in terms of Southgate doing well this tournament to get uh into the final and he had a lot of doubters including all three of us before the tournament but did set up defensively, which is fine. We've spoken about this before. Setting up defensively is fairly decent in tournament football when you keep advancing. And it's it's all good when you're winning and you go through and you go through. But then if you don't win, then there's definitely going to be questions asked as to what could you have done and what changes could you have made. And like you said, Aiden, the the changes like he like uh, Gareth Southgate definitely got outclassed by by Mancini in this game. And as good of a a manager in terms of a figurehead for England, I think that Southgate is a very, very good representative of the the best parts of of England. But in terms of just a purely coaching standpoint, we all three of us can agree he doesn't really have that many credentials in in the game. Like I I don't know his his coaching career, but in terms of the actual strictly coaching, not the not setting up. Uh, the press conferences and all the sound bites and stuff, which are very impressive. And he always does a very good job uh, in representing the country, but in terms of just pure coaching and getting the best, I, I personally don't think that he actually got the best out of the talent that England has. I don't think that's a, that's an unpopular opinion used to set up defensively. And I know there's people who are going to say, yeah, well, he took them to the final. It's like, yeah, he did. But then as soon as he, as soon as he like had to, make changes in order to go and win the game in a, in a position that they hadn't been in the pretty much the entire tournament. He wasn't able to do so. And then waiting so long to make some of those substitutions. And then also the, the, the penalty selections. I know like Jake, you've talked, touched on it. As soon as Bukayosaka went up, I was like, I don't think he's going to score. And like, you don't, I know they're professionals and I know they, they do this every day. Rashford came out and said, like, I take penalties in my sleep. And it's, it's very obvious. It just shows that penalties are definitely more of a mental game at, at the highest level. And when you think of the amount of pressure that those players are under, I was very, very confused as to why I know Southgate said it's because they performed well in training, but like personally, it's easy to sit here and say this, but I probably would have went for the more experienced players. Like, like when Harry Maguire stepped up, that was a, one of the, best penalties I've ever seen just smashing the camera um I thought Sterling would have taken one because he's one of the more experienced one that's not a criticism of him because I'm sure he would have Grealish came out and said he wanted to take one um but putting so much pressure on Saka I think he's only like 19 years old like the weight of the entire country for like 55 years in one kick against Donnarumma who's just an absolute monster in net even though personally I don't believe he should have got player of the tournament, but it's you can't really blame them for missing. And then all, all, all the pressure that goes along with that. Um, overall, I would say Italy, they definitely deserve to, to win the whole tournament. And I agree with you guys. They just kind of controlled the game without creating too much, but slowly found the rhythm closer to the end. And then it kind of switched back uh, for the last couple of minutes. England looked to to win, I thought Aiden, I agree with you. I think that if Southgate was brave enough to figure out a way to get Calvert Lewin in the game, Calvert Lewin was probably one of the only forwards in the tournament that I think could really cause problems for both Chiellini and Benucci in terms of his athleticism. He's he's 
like physically he can hold his own against them, but he can also out jump them and definitely outrun them. But I thought as like a Hail Mary last resort, throw everything in the box. I thought that he might've been one of the best options, but again, like we said, Southgate wasn't really looking to be that proactive, even in this game. I just didn't really understand why I waited so long for the subs, just for the penalties. Um, it's uh, definitely devastating for the England fans to lose on penalties in the final, though that that kind of sucks. The fact that it was in London as well in front of their own fans uh, is never good. But then again, their antics kind of makes you think, OK, well, there's these these fans a lot of time have a poor reputation. It's not good to see. Um, but there's also something very, very satisfying Um in Italy winning, like the winner of the tournament, winning every single game, including the ones in the group stage as well. It just shows, I think, they just truly are, were the best team in the tournament. And with the World Cup coming up next year, uh, they're definitely, I say they're one to keep an eye on, but they, they're definitely one of the favorites for that. Now, when you saw the quality of the Copa America final between Brazil and Argentina, and you compare it to the quality of some of the European teams, night not night and day, but the, the quality was a lot better. Um, and Italy are definitely going to be with the team, one of the main teams to watch for the World Cup next year, which is, uh, I'm sure all three of us are very, very excited about. But yeah, overall, a great tournament. Italy deserved to win. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any, any more to say on the game other than very last thing. I know it doesn't make a huge, well, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything now, but I actually thought that out of all of the performances out of every single player that I've seen, I thought that in the first half, that was the one of the best individual performances I've ever seen from a perform or from an individual rather as Declan Rice. I thought he was absolutely amazing in the first half. And I don't know why he got subbed off. Um, I like, he was absolutely amazing. He was just doing absolutely everything. He was covering every blade of grass and he didn't really look tired either, but uh, I just wanted to, point that out because he, he was that good and for someone who I'm not I'm more of a fan than I was but in the past not a fan at all um, and he was very very good and really impressive in in the time that he had in the tournament so I just wanted to shout out Declan Rice there because he's very good but in uh, do you guys just quick do you guys have any last thoughts on the tournament I'll go first. I thought Jacob was going to take it, but yeah, I was just, I forgot to mention Declan Rice. Yeah. That was an amazing performance uh, in the first half. And then also um, was impressed with Pickford in the penalty shootout. thought he was just going to fold there and just kind of maybe just stay in the middle or just dive early and, and uh, not be able to save Jorginho's penalty, but he did really well in the penalty shootout, which personally mental, mental games and stuff that are not what I would pick Pickford four has a strength sorry i can't really speak english but yeah the the tournament as a whole was really good yeah just um at least there's a there's another tournament coming in in next year so i know it's going to be november december so it's going to be probably not the most fun but yeah at least it's we don't have to wait too long for for hopefully another high quality tournament like this um yeah and and um I don't know I just I I don't want to bring it back down on a negative note but I feel like I like it's important to to mention as well like you said Jack the scenes before the game like the, the athletic put out like some really good articles and in the days following like interviews with people who were there and there were like there were like people telling stories about how they were like thrown from their wheelchair by 
by people just so that they could get into like the disabled entrance and stuff like that um and yeah i don't think that there's anyone english like listening to this probably but uh, you guys you guys know that i don't like england at all but it's absolutely nothing to do with the players it's it's always like the fans just like th this kind of stuff like what they're up to and and the media as well so um obviously not every fan as well but you know just the um Go on, sorry, Jake. Jake. I just wanted to. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to say it is a small minority of fans. It's not like most of them are yeah. like this, but it does get. It, but it is a thing about almost. We everybody knows about English fans going abroad, but this time it was like you're they're doing it at home, acting as if they were like traveling. But it is a small minority, but it is like a common theme among 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 the fans. But sorry, I just continue. No, you're yeah, you're right. It just projects badly on all of them. So that's that's kind of just what I want to say. Um, and yeah, just the penalty shoot the penalty shooters. It's sad that like the the racism was actually predictable once they missed. Like that that you know that's that there's a problem when that's the case. You're expecting them to get it. And um, and yeah, if if the first thing or if if it ever comes to your mind that to to racially abuse someone after missing a penalty, then you know there's or racially abuse anyone in any kind of situation. And yeah, there's there's definitely something wrong with you. And um. Yeah, it's probably a lot of soul searching to do, but yeah, that's it for me, and, and we can move on now. Yeah, Jack just really reminded me uh, about Declan Rice's performance. That was a major takeaway. I think he really boosted his status among a lot of people in the tournament, especially the final, his ability to carry the ball out and really just give an unmatched sort of energy. I think the only reason why he, he was subbed instead of uh, Calvin Phillips was just that leads factor and the fitness of Calvin Phillips. Uh, I think someone else like Mason Mount might have been, could have been a, someone that was taken off instead of Rice, though. He didn't have a great final, but he is a great player. And then I was just thinking about evaluating the progress of England. It, it, they were, they did win games and they were defensive, but I don't really think now I'm, I'm being a bit revisionist, but I don't really think we can say it was convincing at all. Um, drew against and could have lost against a very poor Scotland side. Had to get a very cheap penalty to beat, um, uh, what team was it again? Denmark. Denmark. I almost said Switzerland. And I just think that a lot of their results weren't really that convincing. So, of course, if you're a fan or something, you're going to say, wow, they made it a little bit further. But in a different tournament, many of those games, could they have lost? I would say yes. So I think that's another reason to kind of have pause if you're an England fan or someone in the FA and you really have to evaluate if you want that uh, kind of risky style of play even if you're defensive because you're not bossing the game whatsoever that's it yeah no i agree i think that that like us three obviously and you'd be like more of the england fan than obviously jake and then me i'm just pretty much neutral i think that it's like we're, we're pretty fair in evaluating them um as neutrals because we do as we do consume a lot of the english media and you do see a lot of their their own opinions and you can spin it in a positive way because which is natural when they're going to do well but if you look at it objectively the last thing i'll say and then we'll move on is they, they also very last thing i'll say they got a very very fortunate draw in terms of the side of the um the side of the draw that they like that they fell on compared to the other side where you had some super super tough teams in in, in france and in portugal and all of them going out but england fa fairly straightforward route to the final they did do it so congrats to them and it is they're looking to build so 
I think the next the World Cup is going to be the the true test. We'll we'll see where they're really really at for for that tournament. But we'll move on. There is <laughs> I'll say this really quick. It's not the only tournament that we have to look forward to because the Gold Cup is currently taking place. Canada absolutely dominating the group stages. Even though they lost to the States 1-0, they did dominate the entire game. But just keep an eye out. Canada is going to win the Gold Cup this year. You heard it here first. Uh, we'll move on now. Manchester United transfer rooms rumors. It looks like uh, Rafael Varane is going to go to Man United. It's not official yet, but I'll, I'll let you guys speak about it a bit in, in terms of what United need, in terms of what Varane's going to bring to the squad that they don't already have. Jake, I'll come to you first. What do you think Varane's going to do to United? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know if I doubt you guys remember this, but um, when United lost against Crystal Palace the first game of last season, and uh, I think I just kind of went off. I was just frustrated with everything. and. And I think one of the points I mentioned was that I feel like if United are to like win something, uh, they need like a, a center back beside Maguire who'd be like the the senior, not like senior, you know what I mean, like the the better of the two, um, to to be in like in a very good position. That's basically what Varane is like. Hasn't had the greatest last two seasons, but he, he's still like he's only made four mistakes leading to goals in like his last two hundred and fifty games or so. So clearly like. That, that stat just just speaks for itself like that's obviously very few um yeah he has a he has a huge reputation you know he's he's quicker than Lindelof which is you know and again this tournament Maguire has made me appreciate like his his strengths a lot more because for United when you see him every week he does like these little things that frustrate like when you can't turn around quick enough to play a pass off or anything like that but but yeah he played really well in this tournament um but yeah Varane offers like greater or better better cover for him because the one thing that harry Maguire is and is he's not very fast um so yeah Varane does that Varane is like has the aerial ability that you know lindelof gets targeted with um quite often because obviously Maguire is quite good in the air um so so if you're in opposing forward you're obviously going to go stick yourself to lindelof and you'll probably expect to win your fair share of, of headed duels there but Varane's better in that area as well um literally just a just a better center back like all around than, than Lindelof he's I think Lindelof is quite good at passing the ball but Varane has all of that as well uh and yeah you know just the uh, one of those the 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 main thing sometimes I don't always kind of value it but yeah he's got the experience of literally playing at at one of the most pressured clubs in the world week in week out like he's an, a, a starter if he's if he's fit he plays He's been there for nine or ten years now he's he's been playing regularly at Real Madrid since he was 19 you know winning four Champions Leagues and two or three La Ligas, a Copa del Rey, etc., etc. So um, he's literally got pretty much everything that United needed in center back. It's a very promising signing. Like it, it, It's kind of it's weird to show United showing this kind of ambition, to see United, sorry, showing this kind of ambition because it, it hasn't always been like that. You know, like in the, in the summer, we've had some awful summer transfer windows recently as, as a club, you know, like Lee Grant and and Marin Fellaini those summers and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I, like it's, it's looking, obviously I'm, I'm always wary of like speaking of like a transfer, like if it's done before it actually is, but Fabrizio Romano seems like pretty convinced that's going to go through and it's only a matter of time. So I'm speaking quite freely about it. It's getting exciting. It was not a move that I saw happening. Even when uh, Aiden messaged me, I think it was during the weekend about, about Fabrizio Romano's like advancements, I 
that was the first time I really thought it was going to happen. The whole, it was really going to happen. Sorry, I can't speak. Um, but yeah, the whole time, other than that, I just thought he was kind of angling for a new contract with Real Madrid, you know, a bumper bumper pay raise, et cetera, the way, the way United is usually used by agents in the window. So I was expecting that to happen. But if, if that happens, um, like if the brand transfer happens, that's, that's a huge kind of a huge addition for United. It'll, it'll make a very big difference. Um, and yeah, uh, I'd be absolutely buzzing if this happens. Just, you know, that Bailly and Lundelof as reserve center backs. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. They have to step in for a game or so. But yeah, imagine a, a duo of Varane and Maguire. That'd be, that'd be really nice. And United would have one of the one of sorry wow, United would have one of the best backlines in the, in the country if not in Europe and and yeah, I I'm just very looking very looking very much forward to it. Um, but yeah, Aiden, what do you think about about Varane United? No worries, Jacob. I can tell your excitement there, stumbling over those words. But um, yeah, very very happy with this. If it does go through, I'm just gonna put the caveat out there. We don't know. Obviously, like Jacob said, looking like there's a lot of advancements, but we know that there's troubles uh, with some fax machi- machines between the two clubs. So we're not gonna get uh, too overjoyed yet. Um, I also don't know if he actually has had bad seasons. La Liga week in, week out, or if his reputation has just uh, been hindered by his nightmare performance against Manchester City in the Champions League uh, previously. I think that could be more of the case, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, obviously leveling up the, the 11, that's all you can hope for and, and getting a quality player. Just bored at Real Madrid, uh, won the four Champions Leagues. And I think his biggest impact is just actually having someone, maybe it's a bit overrated, but having someone who's actually won something that's a main feature of the squad other than Pogba, uh, who it's hit or miss how many games he's going to play every season. No one that's really a, a part of the first team and plays a lot of game time has won very much. So I'm looking forward to it, and Jake already talked about all his qualities. So let's just get out over, get it over the line, and uh, just just see how he performs. I'm I'm excited, but I'm still nervy because even though Ed Woodward's kind of phased himself out, and until we just see these deals get wrapped up, I, I can never be sure because it is Manchester United, and on the other end, it is uh, it is Perez. You never know what this crazy bastard's gonna do. So uh, I'm not really sure. Jack, what do you think? I, I think it's an amazing transfer. I think it's just a matter of the fact that Varane, like you said, Jake, he's been at Real Madrid starting and playing game in, game out since he was like 19 years old and just wants a new challenge. And I think that for United, that's an amazing signing. And Varane's got a ton of pace as well. He's a very, very quick defender. He's a really good athlete and he's very comfortable on the ball. He is just like a much, much better version of Lindelof like much better like like a world-class version of Lindelof with more pace than probably just better in every area um and like physically stronger he's better at everything but he's like a similar mold of Lindelof so it would be a very good partnership between Varane and Maguire and I think it'll allow United to play a higher line and I don't think they would get exposed as much and yeah it's just a very very good signing and I think that United for the last little while like, even though the Sancho deal, we all knew it was going to happen eventually. But I think whether, obviously, Woodward didn't think didn't mean to, to screw up the deal last summer. But the fact that they're paying way less for him now, 
uh, for Sancho is it turns out to be really, really good business for United. Not that it was intentional because we all know Woodward doesn't really know what he's doing, but at least now it looks like United are signing players in the right positions rather than just signing all of these names. So it's a step in, in the, I guess, the right direction. And we'll, we'll see how, how, how far the current management setup we know that Woodward is leaving at the at the end of the year and we'll we'll see what happens then but for the meantime they're signing players that aren't over the hill and they're signing in the right positions which if you're a club like Man United who should be competing for trophies every single season um, then uh, yeah I think that they're they're headed in the right direction and we'll we won't discuss it today but I'm sure in the pre uh, in the preview for the season and and in the, the upcoming episodes throughout the summer is, is what they, what they need in order to truly compete. Cause I think we're on a similar, uh, all three of us have a similar idea of what they need in order to compete at, uh, at the very top of the table and, and stay there for the entire season with the likes of, you know, with the likes of city Liverpool and definitely Chelsea for next season. So I think it's a very good signing. And on these episodes, like I said, we'll be updating everybody with the latest, uh, transfer speculation if we don't think it's too out there for both Man United and Everton and as uh, we can move into the Everton news because there's been some announcements today uh, Andros Townsend who just recently turned 30 and was released by Crystal Palace to sign a two-year deal with Everton and Everton have also signed Asmir Begovic as the backup goalkeeper on a free transfer so before I come to you guys, I'll just say, uh, in terms of the financial situation of the club, and I, I remember I said a little while ago when Ancelotti was still the manager, if Everton weren't going to get into any of the European places, financially they could be in huge, huge trouble because of COVID and because of financial fair play because they haven't really been organized and have not gone about their spending in a very intelligent way in any sort of structure throughout the club. Um, in the past five or six years or so. Um, and also, they, they're just spending so poorly. Everybody knows they're spending so poorly. And eventually, eventually, your luck runs out and you have to sell in order to buy players. So at this point, you know, free transfers is all that they can afford. Uh, Begovic and Townsend. Is it what Everton really need in order to, to achieve their long-term ambitions? No, not not at all. Not really a 30-year-old and Begovic is like 35. That's nothing against against uh, against those two players. I, I to be honest, I don't really even even know how, how good they are. Are they gonna improve the team? Maybe a little bit, but not it's not gonna be sustainable for very long. But overall, my expectations with these signings starting off the summer, we obviously have no money my expectations for the upcoming season and for the foreseeable future under the current management and club structure of Everton, my expectations are very, very low. So uh, I'm not overly concerned about the signings because I'm just kind of indifferent at this point, because I just think that the club is run so, so poorly compared to, uh, to compared to others that they should be competing with and, I'll, I'll stop ranting just because I go on all day about this, but Jake, I'll come to you first. What, what do you think about Townsend and Begovic coming into Everton? It's actually kind of weird, but I don't actually hate it as much. Um, 
it's like you said well i don't hate the moves at all it's like like you said i don't think it elevates them in any way but it's decent like begovich you know i, I watching him in the in the championship playoffs i kind of he was very annoying like i was kind of i kind of hated him but decent as a backup you know he, he's someone who can play in the cup competitions without like a I won't say a huge drop off because that would be like disrespecting Pickford. But you know, what I mean, he's not like a, it's not like putting a liability um in in net like guaranteed. Like he can make some saves that he'll need to, as long as he doesn't have to play like the whole season, obviously, which he won't. Um, so that's okay. Townsend is is fine, I think. Cause I think Everton, like United, really need like a a right sided player. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see how he fits though, because. We know, like, obviously, as a left-footed player and just, just the way he is in general, he does like to shoot. He does like to come inside. Um, so I don't know how well that'll work. Like, I feel like for a winger, Everton should just get someone who's going to make sure that, that they cross the ball and get the ball into Calvert-Lewin in the box, uh, which which Townsend really won't be the one doing that. Like, him and Richarlison, assuming Everton will be playing, like, with a front three, uh, I th- him and Richarlison will be coming inside very often. So I don't know exactly about the quality of service that Calvert-Lewin will be getting. Um you know, down the right the right hand side, it could still be the same problem. Like I just mentioned, like three times Townsend coming in, and I don't know if Coleman's gonna exactly have the legs to keep going like overlapping up and down the whole game and getting the crosses in over and over and over. Um, so that'll be kind of kind of interesting to see. Um, but yeah, he's okay. It's like a, a depth piece. Like I'm not saying he's gonna be starting because I think he even said himself uh, he's gonna be a squad player in in, in an unveiling video or something. He said he's gonna be a squad player, and it's up to him to do the best that he can to make sure he forces his way into this into the starting lineup. So at least he's he's you know self aware um, of, of where like his standing is at the moment. But yeah, I think he's done pretty okay at Crystal Palace, and I think he's he's good at some of those set pieces as well that he takes. Like obviously, like the the ones that that can be whipped in again for the head of Calvert Lewin. Those might be good. Um, so yeah, I don't hate it as. I, I don't actually dislike the move at all, but if it's like the only the only winger, the only attacker they bring in, then that's going to be a, a pretty big failure, and and um, then I'll probably have to review what I'm saying about this. But at the moment, I don't hate it too much, provided that that more competition comes in. You know, I just think he'll be decent, like coming off the bench or whatever. I think he could do a job, um, uh, do a job for Everton, and and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, not too much to say about Bagovic. I mean, I hope he wouldn't be playing too much. So not too much to touch on there. Just another older goalkeeper to kind of hold down the fort and train and maybe get a game or here in game here or there in the last year competitions. Uh, my overarching thought about this is just I feel bad for Jack. Um, hopefully there's some more marquee signings or like maybe a, a name that Perks interest, maybe a, a hidden gem somewhere or, or a player that, that's a bit younger that, that might not cost so much so they could develop. That's exciting because these aren't really that exciting of names. Uh, Townsend, like you said, he would, he'll be okay as a squad player. He, he can score a great goal from outside the area, but other than that, I'm not really sure how much he's going to offer the team. Um, just a lot of meh players around the squad, in my opinion. I'm not going to get into the names because – could take a while but not being rude I just that's how I actually feel and yeah it's honestly it seems like a dark time right now for Everton in terms of the fan base I, I don't know if Jack Jack thinks differently but it feels that way and I just hope for an upturn in, in fortunes for them uh, and you're right I don't think Coleman will be uh, 
he tries, but I don't think he really has the legs to be bombing on if, if uh, Townsend's just going to be cutting in. So, yeah, maybe a squad piece, but there's not really too much to say because I don't think they're very effective transfers. Yeah, it's just they're so uninspiring. And look, I, I do realize I am just complaining about it at this point because there, there may be some people who would listen to this who are Everton fans and being like, well, we have no money, so what are you complaining about? And I'm complaining about the fact that why we have no money is because they've been the club. You can criticize them. Like, it, Sorry, I'm a little bit frustrated here because a lot of Everton fans back the owner because he's – financing the new stadium which is which is great but uh, like and it may be different for match going fans I, I obviously i realize i watch every game on tv but i would much prefer and i still think fans would prefer to have an amazing team on the field than to focus so much on investment in one stadium although i do i do believe that commercially and stuff it has to be done for everton but just because the owner is doing really good things with the stadium does not excuse the absolutely shocking decisions that he's made in terms of the footballing side of things. And I just don't know how, like there's a lot of people saying he's spending his own money and just fair play to him. Where will we be without him? Well, we before his money came in, we were actually high consistently higher up in the table. So very, very frustrating. It's just the club, the way it's run is so far behind. You bring in Marcel Brands who's a director of football, but he's proven at Everton so far, what he's proven his career is, to be he's been very very successful in the role of the director of football but what he's done at Everton so far has not technically fall under fallen under what a director of football should be so I just I just get very annoyed with people who don't criticize Everton's ownership in terms of why they might not have any money um, I saw I saw something online I thought it was perfect in terms of these signings and basically as somebody said like well, at least the signings that at least the signings that are nowhere good enough for whatever to want to be are at least they're cheaper this time, which is pretty much bang on. But I and I, I know like there's so many holes in the side, and wingers were huge, huge holes in the side. Everton don't really have besides Richarlison. Even Richarlison's more of an inside forward, really. Um, they don't really have any any pure wingers. Awobi's not even a winger. Bernard's not a winger. Um, at least they're bringing in Townsend. I did see Jake in terms of his productivity. Um, he actually did. Um, I, I saw something. He actually had like the highest crossing like conversion rate in the league, which is which last season, which is really good. But again, and this is me being very nitpicky here. I'm sure that the data analysts know that they obviously know more than me. But if that's like Rafa Benitez has come out in a press conference and, and said that they want to get the best out of Calvert-Lewin and he needs more service. And like, it just to be completely honest with you with the way the decisions that the club has made, it wouldn't surprise me if they looked at like that one metric and been like, there we go. He's just going to put in all the crosses because he has the highest crossing percentage out of everybody. And the Calvert-Lewin is going to score all these goals, but uh, uninspiring again, nothing against the players is just, at this point from all the evidence suggests that Everton aren't going anywhere. And like everything about the club, everything about it is just so mediocre. It's just unbelievable. If like from a fan's perspective, I'm at the point where I'm like, the expectations are low that maybe I get surprised and they do a little bit better than I expect, but without the true plan, 
uh, to compete with the top teams. I keep banging the drum. It's a very easy one to say, but it's 100% correct is literally just follow exactly what Leicester city did. Just choose what you want to be as a club, hire a manager who fits that philosophy, recruit the players for that philosophy, not for the specific manager, but for the philosophy. And then it doesn't matter all the, all the little factors. If one person has to leave, it doesn't matter because you know exactly what you're doing. You know how each player fits into the plan. But Everton, geez, they, they definitely don't think that way because Mashiri has even come out and said that like he wanted David Moyes, but Moyes signed the new contract. It's just they're all over the place. My expectations are very, very low. I'm very critical of the the ownership and in the way that things are being run. But again, I'm just a fan, so I'm obviously going to want the team to win every single game. Uh, it's just very joyless because you know, okay, well, you might win a couple of games, but ultimately, ultimately, you're competing in a league against teams who can financially dominate. And Everton can't play that; that they can't play that same sport. It's a different game. They have to do it in a different way like Leicester city, but like last thing I'll say, cause I know I'm really ranting here is that even from a business perspective, anything that you would do as a, as an owner, there's not really any new ideas in, in business. You'd look at the best practices say, okay, who are we similar to and how, like, who's the best at doing a certain thing. So if Everton are trying to break into the top six, but they're not a rich club and can't compete financially, within financial fair play, who should we be looking at? And Leicester would be the team to follow. And they just, it doesn't make any sense. They're just not following what they, what they should be. And it's, it's, it's not rocket science either. It's fairly obvious, but it's just everything about it, just to finish off. It, it's just so bland, everything about it, just so mediocre and the club's not really going anywhere. So yeah, I don't know. Just have to watch each game, enjoy it, I guess. But I'm very, very disconnected at this point. I thought that in previous seasons and even last season, I'm like, okay, well, maybe there's a plan in place. But then you just see at this point, you're just like, no, they they genuinely have no clue what they're doing. And I don't know, maybe I'll change in the future. And maybe I'm being too harsh here, but it's just how I'm personally feeling if, when I'm doing my research in terms of how, how decisions should be made. But that's, that, that's all for my Everton rant. They're also looking, uh, they're also about to sign Damari Gray, which this one I'm a little bit less negative on. Damari Gray, who actually left Leicester to get more game time, went to Bayern Leverkusen. Uh, Everton are about to get him for 1.5 million. Now he's 25 and we know that he was very like well, he's he's highly rated and he's a talented player, very direct, very pacey, uh, and highly rated when he was younger. Hasn't really fulfilled his potential so far, but he is only 25. He is English, although he may have switched his his international allegiance to to Jamaica, I believe. But um, Everton getting him for one and a half million in terms of the mold, in terms of just a pacey winger, because we have one of the slowest teams I've ever seen. I guess he fits that mold and maybe for a resale value, they might get more money if he, if he performs to any sort of decent, decent level. But um, I, I, again, still probably not, I'd be very happy if he proved me wrong, by the way, but I still just don't think 
is at the level required in order to help Everton achieve the ambitions of breaking into the top top four. What are, that's what they think they're doing. Oh, I'll, I'll let you guys talk now. There's no way they're even closely in Champions League. But Jake, quick thoughts on Damari Gray and anything anything else about about Everton because I can't I can't rant anymore. Yeah, this is another one that's that's okay. Like I, I think he's capable of playing on the right. Obviously, he's mainly left sided, but I think I've I've seen him play on the right, and I think I've heard he, he that's where he's been playing a little bit coming off the bench uh, for Leverkusen. So that's promising. So I, obviously, I don't think he's going to be starting ahead of Richarlison like in, in in Everton's best team. Um, but yeah, like one point five million, like there's basically no risk to it at all. Uh, even if let's say he flops and he doesn't play for like two years, you could probably sell him for like five million to. I don't know, Southampton or a team like that, right? So from from that point of view, it's not bad. Um, but yeah, he's had kind of a rough time. Like he, he came up from, from Birmingham uh, during the season, in, in January of the season where Leicester won the league and obviously couldn't really break through there, which is which is understandable. Um, he's never really broken through like after that either, aside, uh, not aside, but considering the fact that there was like three or four years after that, four years, I think, uh, he still never really broke through. So that's kind of been part of his issue i don't know exactly like if it was like you know attitude or just the fact that he couldn't do it consistently um so i'm not gonna gonna mention it because i don't know uh but yeah again like i, I don't hate it too much uh another bad josh you know he just moved to the bundesliga in in january so he was only there for for a short period of time six months like i don't know if he could adapt or just wasn't playing enough or what it was again but um, I think he, he played 10 games and he only got one goal. So obviously that's not what you want. Uh, don't think he started too often, you know, mostly coming on as a sub. I think he couldn't get past Leon Bailey and I forget who their other winger is like Musa Diaby. Um, so he couldn't really make his way in the starting lineup. So that, maybe that, that probably has, has something to do with it, but yeah, I don't know. It, this one could be like a, it's a risk, but it's a very low, low risk because of the price tag and everything like there's a i'd say there's a fairly good chance it probably doesn't work out but um but yeah like i said even if it doesn't work out you just flip them to another premier league club or maybe like a recently promoted team from the championship or whatever and i'm sure they'll pay more than than everton paid for him so that's a very good price uh to, to get him at especially considering like obviously i don't think he's going to reach the potential that many people spoke about when he was when he had transferred to leicester but he could still be a very good, uh, a very good player. I don't know. For some reason, I always think of him and, and Adam Lookman as interchangeable. I don't know why. If it's just because like they both played for, for Everton and in, in Germany. I know Adam Lookman played for Everton before going to Germany, and, and it was the opposite for Gray. I don't know if that's why, but I just kind of have like the same idea of both of them. Like they they didn't really do it consistently for a very long time, but then they kind of show flashes that they can do it, and that just gets like people excited about them, and then. Hopefully they could just go because I know I'm not going to go too far off topic, but I know Lookman had a pretty good season from what I saw uh, in the Premier League this season with Fulham and and yeah, I, hopefully for Demar Gray he could do it because he's a player I really like coming up as well. I don't know if you guys remember, but his his first goal for for Leicester in the Premier League was against United when United won four one, but it was an, it was an absolute rocket from about thirty yards out, it went right in the corner and. That was when Prime De Gea was was in net, and he couldn't get his hand. He couldn't get close to it. So he's shown flashes. So hopefully he could just he could just like put a put together a consistent run and and yeah, and really elevate elevate himself and go some ways towards towards reaching his potential. But yeah, that's that's it. Uh, Aiden, what do you think about Damari Gray? Yeah, good talent, which is weird. 
to say for a 25 year old in this day and age, but still a really good talent of a player. I think he might be one of those that uh, not purely, but something to kind of appease the fans when you watch him. He's an exciting player. Like you guys mentioned, take players on and maybe doesn't really get the, the output that his, his skills or his, his talent would uh, maybe say that he should. So I think he's going to be another one uh, like, like Townsend, maybe filling in off the bench. I don't know what formation Benitez is planning on playing. Four, two, three, one, something like that. Jack, you can let me know, but not not really uh, too much to say about it. I like it better than the Townsend transfer, but they're two completely different players. Um, not as not as much like skillful with the ball, but some kind of for me it reminds me of someone like a, a Belasti transfer. Maybe maybe he, hopefully for your sake he'll do more for the club than Belasti did, and I believe he will. But just kind of one of those exciting players. I'm not sure how how much he's going to affect the game, but. I liked him when he was at Leicester as well. So I hope he goes on and, and proves me wrong and does really well. That's it. Yeah. It's just one of those signings that in, in terms of like just Everton needing somebody who's very quick and he is like, if anything, he's fast. He is very, very quick. He's got the height too. He's like five, five, 11, six feet. So he's got the, he's got the pace. He's got the power. He does have skill. Uh, I, I could see him honestly at this point, just because of our lack of actual wingers, I could see him starting off the right. But again, 25 years old, he's not, he's not a kid. He's, he'd be older than, older than Richarlison. Right. So it's again, just mediocre kind of, kind of boring, but in terms of risk, like you said, Jake, one and a half million for English, English player is, uh, is low risk, but, and also apologies to anybody listening. So I'm probably for this whole transfer window, I may be very down on Everton now, but it's mostly just because I'm like, just kind of fed up with the current management, the whole structure, but I will try to try to be somewhat neutral to try to be positive, but it's very tough in times like these. I'll finish off by saying how at the time of recording this, Hamas Rodriguez is still an Everton player, which is, not what I expected. I thought he'd be like the first one off right away. So, so that's good to see. And then also to finish off the show, I just do want to shout out uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamin, who has actually had his first preseason with Everton after three seasons, he's been injured this whole time and he very highly rated when he was brought in, but really unfortunate with injuries. But in the two preseason games that he's played so far, and he's a defensive midfielder, he's got one assist from deep, and he's also popped up with the goal. So it'll be interesting to see how he's played this season. He's definitely going to be one to watch if he can stay healthy because he's very, very highly rated when he was in Germany at Mainz. Um, and I'm out of everybody. <laughs> I, I don't want to say out of everybody at Everton half, I'm most excited to watch their defensive midfielder win the ball back for Everton, but he looks very, very sharp in what, in the few clips I've seen in preseason so far. And then also I am, I am very happy that Amos Rodriguez is still at the club. All this may change. Gavamin may be injured like tomorrow and Amos Rodriguez might go to AC Milan. But in the meantime, that those are, those are the two things I can cling on to for today. And, yeah. Do you guys have anything else? Uh, any other transfer news that you just want to quickly mention before we wrap up today? I don't have any off the top of my head. Maybe. Oh yeah. Aiden mentioned it earlier um, before we recorded just Ben White going to Arsenal. I don't know what you guys think about that one. Um, I'll just go really quickly for this one. Just 
he's, he's a he's a good defender, like good passer, progressive the ball, which will be fine for Arsenal. Um, they they definitely need like new defenders and better defenders, which is obvious. And he could he could just be one of the players who grows in the system, but he's already used to playing that way as well, like passing, etc., passing up from the back, stepping out with the ball. So I think that's fine. Um, the only issue, of course, is is the English tax, the the price. Um, that they're paying for him, like they're they're paying more for Ben White than United are reportedly for Varane. So, but it doesn't raise red flags for me. But it's, it just shows that it there's probably smarter ways to to spend the money around if if they were so inclined. But obviously that they identified Ben White as the player that they need specifically for their system and for the back line. So, I'm fine with it. That's just um, it's just like one of the one of the caveats I guess of the of the moves that there's probably better value. For, for the amount of money elsewhere but other than that it's it's, it's a fine move I think you know he, he gets his chance at a big club after being linked for a couple of years and and Brighton get a heck load of money and they've already reinvested in a couple of defenders I think one of them was on loan in the championship last season I can't remember his name he played for Coventry City um, and he looked pretty good I saw a highlight package of him for some reason I don't know why it popped up but I watched it and, and he looked pretty good but yeah, so yeah other, other than that that I don't know just Ben Whitehart so I give it a I kind of rate the move a little bit, but yeah. Anyway, what do you think about Ben White? Yeah, good move because from what I've heard, Arteta was just really keen on, on getting this specific player in terms of building his team for the future and understanding that it's going to be a long rebuild uh, in terms, like you said, just playing the ball. Uh, I just find it funny. It's just a total aside. Like that's good for uh, Arsenal that they, they got this deal done, but I already see on Twitter, uh, Arsenal fans trying to justify how it's a, a better signing than United signing Varane, which is funny, but doesn't really matter. We, you know, we always just uh, like taking a dig at Arsenal, but I think more important news has just come out in the last two hours is that Arsenal's preseason tour to the United States has been cancelled uh, due to COVID-19. So that's just another uh, kind of step back for Arteta and preparations for the season. And uh, that's being reported by Sky Sports in the last couple of hours. So it could have a negative impact on the beginning of the season. But it also could be good for Arteta. He could stay longer in the job because he can say, I didn't have a good pre, I didn't have any preseason to prepare. <laughs> they're also supposed to be, he- I didn't read that, but they're supposed to be headed to the Florida Cup to play against Everton and Inter Milan and uh, Millionaires in, in Colombia. So Arsenal, the first to exit the competition. But um yeah in terms of Ben White I'll focus more like if it's what Arteta wants then yeah he's a good player I like him English tax 50 million Brighton is going to reinvest that so well they're one of the best run clubs in the country and on their current trajectory because they're actually a well-run club who know what they're doing they are on track this isn't a hot take like I 100% believe this is that it give them like five five give them five to seven more years. In my opinion, I know it's like quite a long time, but Brighton have been in the championship for a while. Give them that time frame at the current rate in terms of the Everton management, and they will be finishing consistently above Everton, in my in my opinion, because they know what they're doing in terms of a, a club. So with that negativity, I think, <laughs> I think we can finish off there. Um, again, sorry that this episode's coming out later. We just had some scheduling stuff in a freaking tornado so uh we'll, we'll be back next week thanks for listening follow at follow us on twitter at otl soccer pod and yeah we'll be back next week thank you bye <laughs>